0: Pray with me. God Almighty, great I am. You are great just because you are. We are humbled and we are honored to enter into your presence in worship. And Lord, we've been taught by the songs we've sung today that you're a building God, that you're the king, that you're building your kingdom here. That you're the God who saves. Lord, we thank you for Melica, who gave witness to your salvation in the waters of the baptistry in our first service. And yes, Lord, we want to behold you. And we know someday we'll see you face to face in all of your glory. But like Isaiah, we would ask God that in this place of worship today that you would visit us with power, that you would remind us that you alone are king. We would dare to ask that you would show us your unholiness with, your holiness with, with full knowledge, Lord, that the minute we see you are holy, 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 we will know how unholy we are. And yes, Lord, we would hear your voice today sending us. So if you say, whom shall I send? We will say, here we are, Lord, send us. Send us into your city, the city of Houston. To love the people, Lord. To love the ones, Lord, that maybe don't think anybody in the world wants them, but you want them to be a part of your family. And we pray that you would bring them here and that you would love them through us until we all become the people you want us to be. And we give you thanks, Lord for working in us in these ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. God is good all the time. So we watched that movie again this week, We Bought a Zoo. Have you seen that movie? What's the quote? Just 20 seconds of courage? Just 20 seconds of insane courage and I promise you something good is going to happen and we learn in the movie that the moment that he meets his wife is one of those moments of insane courage. Then when his wife passes away and he's trying to figure out how to keep his family together, purchasing a zoo takes a good bit of courage. But he does that. He goes and buys a zoo. But before he goes, he's got to figure out which of his wife's things he's going to take with them to the new house. That's a hard job. But thankfully, he had good help in his elementary age daughter, so she's helping him decide, are we taking this of mom's, are we leaving this of mom's, and come to an old beat-up sweatshirt, if you've seen the movie, and and uh, it's his sweatshirt. It's Benjamin's sweatshirt, but his wife loved to wear it. And the daughter says, that goes, we've got to take that with us. And then one of the dark moments of the movie when they think they're going to lose the zoo, and they're losing money, and everything's going bad, and the snakes are getting loose, and just all kinds of crazy things are happening He tries on that sweatshirt. He just pulls it out of the drawer and puts it on. I'm sure it reminded him of her. And he realizes there's something in the pocket. And he reaches in the pocket and he finds a safety deposit box receipt. And he doesn't even know that they have a safety deposit box. And he goes and finds out that his wife has left him $84,000. Does it make you want to go look in your clothes at home? Yeah. kind of work through the closet. What did I leave there? That happens sometimes. Like Eureka. I had no idea I had that $5 still in those pants. That's amazing. But $84,000 and and I just thought about it as I watched the movie and my my brain just kind of runs and I'm thinking, "So, what if they had thrown that away? What if what if they had, what if they had, what if he had never tried on the sweatshirt? Then would he've ever known and she knew that he would Put that sweatshirt on. Somehow she knew him well and it was her way of knowing he did crazy, insane things and that that might bail him out and now he's got to figure out what he's going to do with that. And I was wondering if you have any gifts that you've never opened. I'm at a bit of an advantage because I walked by Kathy Lynn this morning. turns out UPS delivers on Sundays. What? And she said, oh, this is for you. So I have an unopened gift. And I was wondering if you've got one that you've never opened. Last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. This Sunday is Trinity Sunday. The Holy Spirit, Francis Chan has said, is the forgotten God. We forget about Him sometimes. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 says, After Jesus ascended into the heavens, He descended first and then He ascended. And He sent gifts through the Holy Spirit for us to open and use for the glory of our God, for the building up of His church, for the accomplishment of His purpose in the world. Would you open your Bibles with me this morning? We open them together today, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, our God is a wonderful giver. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 4, we have a part of that story, and I want to share that with you today, and then... um, We'll read verses 4 through 13 or 14, and then we'll pick up with verse uh, 27. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. We're talking about being called to community. And this community, Tallowood, you and I, for instance, have been gifted by God's grace. What are we going to do with those gifts? God has a good idea. Let's look together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts. By the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And he goes on to say, so the the foot can't say because I'm not a hand, I'm just not part of the body, and he uses some analogies. And then in verse 27, he concludes, now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? The implication is no. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. God loves to give good gifts to his children. And we find these gifts enumerated not only in this passage, but also in Ephesians chapter 4, Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter. There are lists of the gifts that God gives. But particularly in the church at Corinth, I just want you to know that after chapter 12, there's another chapter You probably remember this chapter about love, chapter 13. And then there's another chapter, chapter 14. And what I'd love for you to see today is that they all go together, that we can't understand chapter 12 apart from chapter 13 or chapter 13 apart from chapter 14. And they go together and what he's trying to do is teach a church where the understanding of the spiritual gifts has gone awry. So he starts this chapter by saying, now about spiritual things it's just sort of the generic spiritual we realize he's talking about spiritual gifts now about spiritual gifts he says there's a challenge because some of them had thought that the more sensational spectacular gifts were more important and that the people who had those gifts were better Christians and so they were all bragging about their gifts and they were not especially using them in humility or unity and as a result the church was not very healthy and it wasn't accomplishing God's purpose in the world as I look at Talalwood and look into the future that God has for us one thing that occurs to me is that this is a really important passage that in some ways our effectiveness in ministry as a church depends on all of us being fully employed for the kingdom finding out what God has gifted us to do and then finding a way to use that within this body of Christ and this is what I want us to know that spiritual gifts are God's gifts given by God's Spirit to God's people to accomplish God's purpose of bringing God's world into relationship with God's Son. So gifts are not just something that are out there for us to amuse ourselves or much less for our self-aggrandizement. They're not about building our brand individually or corporately at Tallowood. The gifts are about accomplishing God's greater purpose. They are given, he says in verse 7, for the common good. And until we begin to use God's gifts in conjunction with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, We may miss the point of God's great gift of His Son and God's great gift of His Holy Spirit. And worse yet, others in our city who've never yet come to know Him will never come to know Him until we begin to do what God has called us to do. So you see what's at stake here. First, just a couple thoughts. One is that in love, our gracious God gives good gifts to His body, the church. So I want to start with in love, because I'm just reminded that you know the first question when we get a gift sometimes is what's in it, right? And then what you want to know? I mean, you want to? I mean, I kind of want to know what's 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 in it. But but a prior question is who gave it? And if we know who gave it, then we might know what's in it. So in this case, Amazon. So it's probably clothes, right? You know, or food or something. No, we we probably know what comes from from Amazon, right? So what kinds of things come? from God. Well the good news is that our God is love, that he is love. And so John would write in chapter 3 verse 16, a verse that almost everybody in our culture knows, for God so loved the world. So God is love and God gives good gifts. Why? Because he loves us. And by the way, who does God love? Well, he loves me. Well, that's kind of the cultural narrative. Me individually, you individually. Except it says he loves the world. Which means that sometimes we have to correlate our worldview not with what we heard on the news last night, but but with what we read in God's Word. We need news from another network, and what we discover is that it is true that God loves you and that He loves me and that He loves Texans and that He loves Americans. But it's also true, isn't it, that God so loved the world. He loves the whole world. He loves all the people in the world. One of my favorite songs, I remember that. I was thinking about some old friends of mine back in Austin where we lived before we moved here. And there was a song, that Point of Grace, that group from Washita used to sing. God loves people more than anything. More than anything, he wants us to know he would rather die than let us go. God loves people more than anything. Just astonishing this week, Jerome gets a phone call from a lady who was calling for a Baptist church in Houston because she got saved in her home country where she couldn't get baptized because that would have been very dangerous. And she gets to the United States and she just wants to get baptized. So she looks up Baptist church on the internet and she gets and Baptist church in Houston is what she's looking for. And a pastor in Galveston answers the phone. And she says, do you baptize people? I said, yes, I baptize people. Where are you? She said, I'm in Houston. He said, oh, I'm in Galveston. But there's this church in Houston called Tallowood. It's my friend Carrie Tillman who's preached here. That's who she got on the phone randomly. And Carrie says, so you should call Tallowood. So she calls Tallowood. Jerome picks up. Jerome tells me I'm coming in the office that day. We meet. We baptized her in the early service to the glory of God. But she was saved in another country and God brought her here and the series of events. She was trying to get here the day travel was banned and she got sent back to her home country. But she was persistent and she came again and she ended up here and now she's a part of this body. Just as a reminder that our God loves the world so much that he gave his only son. So God expresses his love In giving, and God gives really good gifts. Don't you have somebody in your family who's just like, they always know the right gift to give? So that's who God is. We might say his love language is giving. So James would write in chapter 1, verse 17 every good and perfect gift, if you see a gift that's just perfect, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. God knows what He's doing. And it's God who gives the gifts. So what are the gifts? I mean, that's what we want to know. What, what exactly are the gifts? And, and He uses different words for them. So in verse 4, He uses the word charismata, a grace gift. Same Spirit. Then notice the Trinitarian formula. It's the same Lord. Now He's talking about Jesus who gives the, the ministries. That's the word diacona. So diaconon. So um, it's the same word for deacon, but it's broadly translated ministry. So if you're a deacon, you ought to deek. By the way, deacons should deek, but you don't have to be a deacon to deek. It turns out you can serve and you can minister without ever being ordained by anybody for anything. You can do that, and it's the same Lord who gives that. Then he says it's the same God who is working, and that's the word in in their. Uh, So it's a word that gives us our word energy, energize. And what he says is God is working. He's the energizer God who gives energy to his people, grace gifts, ministries or service and workings. God is working in all these ways. Verse 11, the spirit distributes as he determines. Verse 28, God appointed some To be, And he lists some of the offices and others of the gifts of the church. And what's interesting about the list is this can't be an exhaustive list. Why? Because it's a different list than the one that's in Romans 12. Different than the one that's in Ephesians chapter 4. So we think it's more selective, representative. What it says to us though is that God gives the gifts that the church needs at the time that the church needs them. Jack McGorman, one of our professors in seminary, wrote a book about just chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians. And, and he has his own sort of rubric to define the types of gifts. He says some of the gifts are about communicating the gospel, communicating the truth, like the word of knowledge, the word of faith. I would distinguish this from what we sometimes see where somebody goes, I believe somebody in this room has a headache, and God wants them to get well. I'm pretty sure in a room this size, somebody here has a headache. That's probably true. But God didn't just give me that knowledge so if you want to see the word of knowledge, word of faith, it's more like Ananias and Sapphira and Peter knows that they're lying. It's a little bit more awesome than just, you know, somebody's toe is hurting. OK, so word of knowledge, word of truth. God gives information for us to communicate. Prophecy, I think, is in this category. It's, it's saying, thus says the Lord. This is what God says. And speaking not just about God, but for God two people. So when we teach Sunday school, when we preach, in some ways we're exercising that gift. They're gifts of teaching. These are ways of communicating uh, the gospel. And then in that same uh, rubric, he says there are sort of miraculous kinds of gifts. These make us a little bit nervous sometimes when somebody starts saying they heal somebody. We look at that. And so one way that, that pastors and theologians have dealt with this is to say, well, those gifts, those really spectacular gifts, they were just for the first century. And after the apostles died off, and the gospel had spread in that first initial surge, then these gifts aren't gifts anymore. So gifts of tongues and interpreting tongues and those things, those aren't gifts anymore. Miracles, those kinds of things. A third gift is the gift of discernment. We have members of our family who have that gift. I'm not one of them, unfortunately. But we do have members of our family who have that gift, and I appreciate it because it's hard to fool them. You know, you just like you can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time and Melanie, none of the time. You can never this discernment. That's a third gift. And then, then the fourth type of gifts he talks about is the gift of, of speaking in other languages and interpreting other languages. Those are the four categories that he lists. What I would say about these gifts, and this is important, is that these are probably not just natural talent. You may have a talent that corresponds to it. In some way, like you might have the gift of teaching and you also have a gift of oratory. And when that comes together, who I think we saw that last week, that goes really, really well uh, when Joshua preached. you know, So natural gift of, of oratory, but spiritual gift of, of understanding Scripture and teaching, and God brings that together. But spiritual gifts are gifts that you didn't have before you were a believer. And here's the hard part. Some of us have been believers as long as we can remember. So we're not exactly sure. Um, but what we know for sure is that God is the one who gives these gifts, and He gives them to us so that we may build up the body of Christ. So what is your gift? If you had to think about it, and one way to, to find out your gift is to take one of these online spiritual gift inventories. Uh, we were talking about that in worship planning. We're a little suspicious of those sometimes. They're not exactly, but one way to find out what your spiritual gift is is to ask the people who know you best. So what is my gift? What is that Thing that God has given me. And it may be that in the, in the community of believers, you may be able to discover more clearly the ways that God has gifted you. So who gives the gifts? God gives them. And what are the gifts? They're, they're spiritual empowerment, divine enablings to do something that you couldn't do if you were not a follower of Jesus Christ. That's how specific that is. So why does God give these gifts now that's important why why do we receive these gifts what are these gifts who receives the gifts I I looked at my my package and it has my name on it that's how Kathy Lynn knew that it was mine there was another package there that looked like food and I said can I exchange like I'll give up the book for the food I'd be I'd be glad I was hungry I would be glad to do that but it didn't have my name on it right so what he says is in verse seven To each one of you God apportions them. In other words, he's talking to believers and says, each of you. One of the ways we know that we are believers is because we have the Holy Spirit. Paul will say in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, "If, if, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian at all. So if somebody tells you, well, you become a Christian, and then later you get the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. Paul says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't even belong to God. But as a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, coming back to verse 7 in 1 Corinthians 12... You have a gift. God gives the gifts to His people. He gives them to the church. Why? Because in the church together, we can minister to each other and supply the needs of the church and also reach out into the community. And this is really good news. So we've got these gifts and we use them for the glory of God and it means that you're not alone in the Christian life. So the next time you get a flat tire, for instance, I don't know how that goes for you, but usually it's like the middle of August, and I'm on a busy freeway, and the tire goes flat. And so what do you do? You get out the jack, you know, and it used to be the kind of jack it up jack, but now it's the, you know, turn it around jack, and and it just takes me forever. My dad's a mechanic, but I I got none of that aptitude, and so, you know, by the time it's over, I'm a sweaty mess, you know, and and here we are, you know, and, and finally got the tire changed. But wouldn't it be great if, say, an Indy 500 crew was in the car behind you? So you pull over with a flat bump, 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 bump. You get out and you go, oh, no, where is the jack? Did I even put the jack back in the car? No problem. Because the Indy 500 crew, they do this in like 20 seconds. Or is it eight seconds? It used to be like a minute back about 30 years ago. Now they can do it in like 20 seconds or eight seconds. But a Formula One crew, that's 20 people, so they'd be like in a bus. Three seconds. Change all four tires, gas up, trim the wings, and you're back on the road. And this is the way the body of Christ works. So God gives us the things we need when we need them for His purpose. So, so, what is your gift? And why did God give that gift to you? Some of you are comic book fans. I'm not especially, but I have one son who, like, he knows the backstory of all the characters, and it's either DC or Marvel, because it can't be both, right? Because people who are DC are not Marvel, and people who are Marvel Now I don't even know. But I, I know this that recently on a, a radio program, A guy named Ira Glass was talking about how they did a survey and asked people if you could have a supernatural power of either the ability to fly or invisibility, which one would you want? Now think about that for a moment. What was interesting, Ira Glass said, was people already had their answer. It was like they had been pondering this. I want to fly or I want to be invisible. But What was really interesting was when they said, so what would you do if you were? Not one person said, I would fight crime. I would help the world. It was like, if I were invisible, I could go do that. If I were invisible, I could go do this. If I could fly. And and so finally he asked one of them, he said, so but what if a person, what if a house was burning and somebody was inside the house? He said, no, 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 I'm not doing that. If I fly in there or go invisibly into a burning house or whatever, I might catch on fire. That would not be good. No, I'm not here. I don't want to use the gift for that. And it it just reminded me that in the body of Christ, God gives us these amazing gifts. And we have to be aware that God gives us his gifts for the purpose of verse 7. The common good. So God's trying to do good in the world. He wants to use us to do good in the world. So what is that good thing that God wants to do? Well, we know the answer to that from the Scripture. In fact, um, Sky pointed it out to us, didn't he? From Matthew uh, chapter 28. Um, All power in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus said. You go, therefore and make disciples of all nations. So the power God has given us, the spiritual enablings, are for the purpose of making disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching so that they will observe and obey everything that Christ commanded. And here's the promise. When we're doing that, God is with us. So the one who gives the gifts is here to help us use the gifts that He's given to us. So how will we use the gifts God has given I was reminded this week of uh, the Iditarod uh, dog race up in Alaska. I was up there when I was a little kid. We used to see the the dog races, the sled races. And behind the Iditarod is the story of back in uh, 1925. I think it was January 21st, uh, 1925. And in Nome, Alaska, they had an outbreak of diphtheria. And they needed a serum vaccine to save the lives of the children And so they sent out this all points, and it turned out that Anchorage, which was like 900 miles away, had all the serum they needed. But they didn't have any way to get it there. It took, back then, about a month in the wintertime to get from there to there. And so they said, how can we get it there faster? And they called upon the, the dog sled racers, and they, the first one, the first musher went 51 miles carrying serum. The next one, 30 miles 20 of them, back to back to back to back. I don't know how many dogs that would be, you know, 200 dogs or something like that. And they get it there in a little over five days, 127 hours, however many days that is. And they save the lives of all those children. And I was just reminded that whatever gift God has given you and me, His purpose is not for us to walk around and say, see my gift. His purpose is that the world might be saved. And you and I are a part of that enterprise and He invites us into that to use whatever gifts we have. And we'll see it this week in Vacation Bible School. I'm pretty sure we're going to see people with gifts of administration and people with gifts of teaching and people with gifts of service and people with gifts of giving. And all of this will come together. And the treasures will be seated over here. And we'll be loving the children in Jesus' name. But it turns out it takes a lot of organizational ability to do that. And some people love by organizing. And and other people love by speaking. And other people love by teaching. and And all those gifts will come together. And then on Thursday morning, I'll stand right here and share the gospel with the children, the older children. And some of them will trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. I want you to pray for that meeting because it's one of the hardest that's one of the hardest things i do every year is to speak that message because we don't want to manipulate children we don't want to talk them into something that they're not ready to do but on the other hand we want to offer that opportunity and it is a challenge every year to make sure we get that message right and every year god saves those who believe and my point is god wants to use your gift so you gotta you gotta find your gift Kirby John Caldwell, another pastor in our city, says there are two great moments in your life. One is the moment you were born. You probably don't remember that moment, but you've been told about it. The second one, the moment you realize why you were born. Why were you born? Why were you born again? Why has God brought you into his kingdom? How is he going to use that? And and for for heaven's sake, if you've got some gift that you haven't opened, well, for, for the world's sake, for your sake, For love's sake, for God's sake, open the gift and use it for His glory. And doesn't it make sense that if God gave it out of love, that He wants us to use it in love? And that's why chapter 13 says, so so love is patient and love is kind. And if you could speak with the tongues of men and angels. See, you had these amazing, miraculous, spectacular gifts, but you didn't love love. What good would it do? One last thought. Sometimes people say, well, but those gifts were back then, but they're not around today. You know, I'm very reluctant to say, yeah, God can't work today the way he used to work. Am I alone in that? I said last Sunday, you know, whatever God has ever done, he can do now. Whatever God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. Whatever God has ever done for anyone, he can do for you. And I was studying over in the library this week, and I came upon the story of George Mueller, the man who owned the orphanages in Bristol, England. And uh, just the faith. He had such a gift of faith. And he was supposed to speak in in, uh, Quebec, Canada, and he's in Nova Scotia, and they're in this heavy fog, and he's on a boat, and he walks up to the captain and says, I've got to be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon to speak. And the captain says, well, that's not going to happen. See how thick the fog is? We're not going to make it there and he says well then if this ship's not going to get there then God's going to get me there some other way because in 57 years I have never missed a speaking engagement and I'm not going to miss this one and the captain said well I don't know what to tell you and he said right there George Mueller said well let's pray and he bows down on his knees on the ship and he begins to pray this is a simple prayer but he prays and he says God I want you to to lift the fog so that we can make it there safely. And, and the captain, he feels obligated now that he's prayed that maybe he should pray too. And he starts to pray and George Miller says, don't pray. I don't want you to pray. And the captain says, why not? And he says, because you don't believe that God can lift the fog. And I believe that he already has. And he made it on time. The fog Lifted. The captain had said to him, do you see how thick the fog is? And George Mueller, this is the gift of faith. He said, so I'm not looking at how thick the fog is. I'm looking at God. And I'm trusting that God can work. And there are these gifts, these miraculous gifts, and God gives them. And I'm not going to say when or how God uses them, but when I go over to Africa and I see in some ways the environment that's very close uh, to the environment of the first century and the faith of the people and the pastors and the way they trust God... Sometimes things happen there. My college roommate came to me recently and said, apparently people are still being raised from the dead in Africa. I said, tell me your story. He said, oh, we had a group of Methodist pastors together and they said, what has God done in your life? One guy said, well, our church is really growing. And he said, oh, that's great. And somebody else said, well, we're sending a lot of kids to camp this year. Oh, that's really great. And then a a Methodist bishop from Africa said, I raised the Methodist women's union leader back to life this week. It got kind of quiet. And they said, well, well how, did, how did that happen? Well, I was doing her daughter's wedding, and, and after the wedding, we were about to go to the reception, and the mother went to change clothes, and she fell over dead. And they came and said, she died. What are we going to do? And he said, I sent everybody out, and I said, Lord, this can't be. This is a happy day. This is a day of a wedding. This is not a sad day. Lord, you've got to raise her back to life. And he said, I began to pray for her, and he said, she sat up, and we went to the reception. Now, I don't know what her medical condition was. I don't know. But I know this, whatever our God chooses to do, He can do in you and in me to accomplish His purpose of redeeming the world. So that's what you're a part of when you're a part of the church. And we're glad you're a part of this one. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for all that You have done. We stand in awe of You, God. All that you have done and all that you are doing. And Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would couple the gifts of the Spirit with the fruit of the Spirit. That we would be a people characterized by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That may say more about who we are than what our gifts are. But I pray even this week in VBS that you would raise up the giftedness of your people to accomplish all that needs to be accomplished. I pray, Lord, that you would make us a disciple-making church that makes disciple-making churches, that we would plant church-planting churches every chance we get for the glory of God, for the purposes of your kingdom. Yes, Lord, build your kingdom here. Because you are the God who saves. And, Lord, you're the great I Am. And we just want to say, behold our God, the God who saves. And we pray, God, you would do something so great in your people at Tallowood that nobody but you could take credit for it. That you do something greater than we can ask or imagine according to your power that is at work in us. In Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray in His name. Amen.